Faf Duplessis was indisposed the night before with a virus. So they had to ask De Villiers to captain. Then the first morning, Quinton de Kock strains his hamstring. So De Villiers started to keep wicket. And that, in a nutshell, <laughs> is why South Africa have had to rely on him so much for everything. He's been their keeper. He's been their captain. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the fifth Sailor Points podcast. I know it's already five. We've had a big weekend in IPL, um, a bunch of super overs, and I'm sure all of you have watched it. But um, history's in the making. We've had a New Zealander win a super over, which is big news. Uh, first ever, Lockie Ferguson might actually be a better bowler than uh, Trent Bolt in the super over. So, well, yeah, but there's a, there's a bunch of games. We have the Kings 11 MI, um, SRH versus KKR, and then we'll start off with those because those were the most recent games on Sunday. And um, we'll wrap up the IPL t- conversation with DC versus CSK and the RR versus RCP games on Saturday. Um, so it's going to be pretty eventful and IPL heavy right now. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah, why don't you guys take it away? So I guess just starting off with going back to front with Delhi and Kings 11, what do you guys think of that? Because I think Kings 11 are making a late charge up, but I don't think it'll be enough still. I look at this team and they had a couple of good performances. You know, they squeezed by Mumbai. Uh, they managed to get past Delhi with some fairly good breathing room. But I just still think that they're a little bit too dependent on Rahul and Purin. And I think I don't see the bowling depth in this team to really take them a very long way. And the fact is, I don't see five core good bowlers or even four key ones to really carry the team going forward. And because of that, I'm still not sure that the hype over them climbing up into fifth place is warranted. I think, honestly speaking, if KKR win the next game anyways, it's season over for Kings 11 pretty much. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's just a little bit too much, too late, right? So they're, it's, it's a push late into the tournament. But obviously it's been only two games um, in a row that they've won. But as for bowling depth, or three games, but um, as for the bowling depth, um, Glenn Maxwell stepped up today, having an economy of 7.75 and taking up the wicket, bowling all four of his overs. But um, really, the main bowlers there are Shami and Bishnoi throughout all this, although he only bowled three overs, Bishnoi. Yeah, it's it's really a lack in their bowling depth, and we've seen that with other teams. They are more successful with a greater bowling attack, um, MI and DC, for examples. Well, yeah, it's really hard for me to, to say that Kings 11 has much of a good shot here. Even the last couple wins they've had, they are squeezing through pretty narrowly. And you could argue that they might not even have won this if it weren't for some spectacular death bowling by Shami. He conceded 13 off his last two overs bowling at the death, which is unbelievable against any batting lineup, never mind. Uh, Delhi's with the with Shikhar though on 106 at the crease. Um, and it really seems like their fortunes are kind of ebbing and flowing with him because he's the only firepower they have at the death. And uh, too little too late feels accurate here. To me, uh, Punjab, CSK, and Sunrise are definitely not making the playoffs. Um, it, it doesn't feel like the... Yeah, it, it's, it's hard for me to even really nail down three or four bowlers who are able to consistently bowl their quota at a reasonable economy rate. It's, it's something is up with the balance. Wow. I'm kind of shocked by the negativity around Kings 11 by y'all. I'm not going to lie here. I think... Uh, past week, they've finally stepped up as a team. They've, 
they've won three matches in a row, and it's not just any three matches. They've beaten the top three teams in the tournament. They've beaten Delhi. They've beaten Mumbai. They've beaten Roger. They've beaten Royal RCB. They've really stepped up, and I think what was today the most impressive thing about their victory today was Kale Rahul and Mangagol didn't even score any runs today. Kale Rahul, um, the first time in this tournament, it felt like Kingsley did not have a fifty-run opening partnership, and this time Nicholas Puran, with the help of Chris Gale and Glenn Maxwell, both got runs and took Kings Eleven to first to first off. Not just an easy victory, but a drama-less victory. No last overs choking like we saw and they nearly pull off against RTB. No, nothing crazy extra. No super overs. They took it simple and finished it before the 20th over. While I agree, mathematically looking at it, KKR just needs to win one or two games to confirm that fourth place. It, I still think Kings Eleven have come back really strongly. And from a team that looked like they were going to be last place, I do think they'll be fifth now. At least they'll be fifth now. Because the, all the momentum's on their side. And it seems like the some of the other foreign players, Glenn Maxwell is finally stepping up a little bit. I mean, there's nothing crazy to start screaming over just a 30. Or also played a terrible shot to get out. But him and Gale are finding their feet in this IPL. And they can at least make a late push. Where at least if they win all their games, they can at least have some shot. Obviously, they're going to now need results to go their way because an RC, RCB loss tomorrow to KKR will probably signal the end maybe of this group stages. The top four will probably be solidified. But yeah, I was actually pretty impressed. Like I was pretty impressed that Kings were able to win today without major contributions from Mayank or Kale Rahul. Yeah, I think if I were to sum it up, that's that's kind of the the core point here is you did mention they won three back-to-back. The first two still had to come on the backs of pretty significant contributions from their opening partnership. Um, and if they're able to keep up the sort of contribution down the order, then there's no reason why they can't be a force to, to be reckoned with. It just isn't clear to me that that is necessarily going to happen. The season so far hasn't shown that they'll do that. But if if this is a change in their fortunes and the rest of their batting lineup is able to get them over the line, yeah, no reason why they can't be a powerhouse here. I guess moving a little bit down the table... Um, if we go to the Rajasthan and Chennai game, which might honestly take the cake for the most boring match that any of us have ever seen this IPL, especially after the excitement of the weekend. I do feel like this game pretty much showcased the limitations of CSK as a team. Um, there's no impetus anywhere in the batting lineup from anyone at all. And they ended up trundling to 125 for five. And it really didn't take Rajasthan too much to catch on and knock that off. But I think of far more interest for Rajasthan will be the performance of Ben Stokes and of Joss Butler, particularly Joss Butler. You know, Ben Stokes got some overs under his belt again. Looks like he's starting to become another reliable bowling option for them, which, you know, no one was really sure how he would do coming into the tournament. Um, but of more immediate concern, Joss Butler's performance, 70 off of 48. I mean, not much to say there other than Wow, because on a pitch where everyone else seemed like they were struggling to get going, Steve Smith scored 26 off of 34 and never once looked fluent. Um, Butler was batting on a completely different wicket from everyone else. I honestly think there's a correlation between his success batting and his lack of keeping throughout the game, right? Um, They had Samson behind the, the stumps. There may be a correlation with that. It may be too early to say that. But I also think on the point of Steve Smith, while he did lack any fluency in his batting, it was a role that he had to play to see out those overs and just get the total that they needed because you had Samson getting a duck and Uthapa scoring four very low scores and it relied on them. And just, I think he played the role that he needed to. He could have accelerated at any point, I feel. 
um, from the way I, I at least what I was seeing in the match, but um, that's just how I felt. Yeah, it was a getting through that power play was always going to be difficult. Um, and while, while Smith is obviously one of the best batsmen of this generation, compared to Butler against a white ball in full flow, it's very hard to stack up anyone else there. Yeah, it was a pretty inconsequential game. I don't really think either of the teams are have a real chance in this tournament. They don't have any momentum on their side. I can't really see them making a big play for the playoffs. So yeah. I, I think Rajasthan has a chance if they somehow manage to sneak in the fourth spot. I think they can do some damage only because their star players are so good. Jofra Archer, possibly the best bowler this IPL after Rabada. Well, and uh, um, you know, Butler can do a lot of damage and so can Smith and Stokes. But you're right. I don't think I think they've just left it too little too late. I don't see them making the playoffs either. And I think they've only got themselves to blame. They can have a world eleven. I don't think they have a real chance. They, it doesn't seem possible mathematically. They just take yards needs to win a couple games here. But yeah, I think yeah, it was an impressive show. And I think CSK weaknesses keep coming back and back and back again. It's always gonna be the strike rate, it's always gonna be the batting. Nobody's performing for that team. It's heavily super reliant on duplicity and sometimes it walks in and right you do, but yeah, once we saw runs back duplicity got out early, which was which has been rare this IPL. CSK just crumble. They they don't exactly collapse all the way, but they just don't seem to be finding the boundaries. They're too they play too many dot balls. So yeah, that was a, that was a extremely boring game, especially after the previous day when we had a double super over, which I want to talk about now. Mumbai Kings eleven. How many how many of y'all knew that you had to com- completely switch out new players for a second super over? Yeah, I found that out. On found Sunday. That, out on that was the first. Lakshad Dinesh. Do y'all knew? No? I had no idea. You know, I considered myself fairly well acquainted with Super Overs after the World Cup, but I had no clue that that was the rule. I thought that if the batsmen, I thought that if the batsmen were out, then they couldn't bat again. I had no idea you had to switch them out permanently. Even the number third batsman has to be switched. Yeah, I, I didn't know this. And yeah. I, to be fair, I'm not sure the ICC did either. They had a tweet saying that if the batsman wasn't dismissed, <laughs> he could bat again. Yeah, I don't, yeah. It just sh- it just shows how rare an occurrence like this yeah. is. Yeah, I was just so waiting until we got to everything. super over number five to see Quinton Decock bowling at Shami. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been a sight. I think the Twitter had it best summed up. If this game went on for much longer, we'd have Preeti Zinta bowling to Mukesh Ambani. <laughs> <laughs> but on a cricketing note, on a cricketing note, let's start with the um, let's start with the Mumbai Kings Eleven Punjab game. Yeah. On a cricketing note, I think. Honestly speaking, Mumbai don't really have too much cost to be concerned by this. They're still around the top of the table. They're still almost guaranteed to make the playoffs. And to be quite honest, this game wasn't really them falling short in any way so much as, you know, just a couple of things not going their way. Um, Could have played a bit better in the Super Over and really just... um, some excellent batting by Kings 11 Punjab, getting them over the line. I, I don't think this is something for Mumbai to get too hung up about because yeah. all their players are firing. They've still got good form on their side and performances of Quinton de Kock and Karen Pollard will be of immense encouragement to them. Yeah, Mumbai. Yeah, I, I think. Here. Honestly, like, this, this is their, they've lost three games this season and two of them in Super Overs and their only legitimate loss of the first game of the tournament. So I think they're still favorites going into the playoffs, which they are practically expected it's just now a spot it's now just to see if they can hold on to the top two but yeah it was i think for the super over you you've got to you've got to i think you might have to question a little bit of why hardy pandya or kyron Pollard were not sent out in the initial super over considering they're two of the biggest power hitters within 
Mumbai, I, I even though yes, Quinter Hook has been in good form, but you you think Hardy Pandya and Karen Prahlad would be super over specialists, right? I I mean I think looking at the match as a whole, it's hard to say that anything went wrong for Mumbai. Um, we know their top five are all consistent, and you only need two of them to fire on any given day, which they did. A couple of handy cameos in the back end, and then their their bowling went pretty much according to plan, barring an expensive power play. Um, I think yeah, I I find it consistently very hard to overlook a man in Karen Pollard's form right now. He has really made an art out of turning 10 or 12 or 15 balls into a match-changing period. Um, he, he went at a strike rate of nearly 300 here in the regular match. And, and to me, it, it's so hard to overlook how well he does that role. I think uh, unlike what um, the Knight Riders have been doing with Andre Russell lately, lately where they tend to expose him a little bit more at the top of the order um, when there are some known weaknesses. Pollard is really able to maximize that time at the end and, you know, get deep in the crease and, and um, Yorkers. turn some really good death bowling into looking pretty ordinary. Um, yeah. It, it does baffle me a little bit. Yeah, he's been doing this for 10 seasons now for Mumbai. They they know what – there's a reason why Karen, Karen Pollard is the vice captain of the Mumbai. And he's, a, he's one of the most senior players in that team and – I really thought, like, if any of you watched Creed Fever, many thought that after 2018, Kieran Pollard, that would be his last season. But the last two seasons, he's come back both in IPL and international cricket strongly. And he's just making it a habit of playing 10 balls and making sure he gets 30, 40 runs. Never, never has a strike rate below 200 coming when he comes in at the death. And it's demoralizing to the opposition team. You want to get off. You finally got the call, Rohit, Stuart Kumar, Ishan Kishanala, and now you have to bowl the Pandya and Pollard. It's not a, it's not a happy for happy uh, stuff for any bowling team. It's important to note with Karen Pollard is that part. I think part of his success also comes from the fact that he's always got excellent batsmen batting with him as well. So it's not as easy as just picking his one marginal weakness and trying for it at the death. First of all, because he's so powerful that even miss hits go for six. But secondly. If it's not a matchup he likes, he just takes a single and gives a strike to Hardik or Kunal. <laughs> They've got pretty much opposite skill sets from him in a sense, right? Um, I mean, what would you say Pollard's biggest weakness is? Fast, fast bowling. Exactly. Genuine, genuine pace. And that's something that Hardik is excellent at facing. Yeah. We've seen- oh, my God. The flick shot Hardik Pony hit up Pat Cummins a few games ago. Third ball, I think he played. Oh, yeah. my God. So how do you bowl to that? That's the thing. This is why I think Mumbai is one of the best T20 teams I've ever seen in my life because any duo that you send out has complementary skill sets. And this is what's so important. If you take a look at other IPL teams, right? For example, let's take a look at, um, oh, I don't know. Let's let's say um, Kings Eleven, right? Kings Eleven's two teams. Uh, Kings Eleven, two star players. Uh, I think there's two star batsmen right now might be considered Mayank and KL Rahul, right? Neither of them have complementary skill sets. They pretty much play the same style. So if you block one, you've pretty much blocked the other. And that leads to a whole period of pressure that blocks everyone else down the lineup, prevents them from facing the balls and everything. So this is the type of thing Mumbai is so good at. They've picked their team to maximize their players' strengths. Yeah, and one thing about Kieran Pollard compared to other major power hitters, especially West Indian power hitters, is that a lot of these power hitters, they tend to struggle a lot against leg spin, especially mystery spin. Well, this is Kieran Pollard's strength. We've seen what he's done. He's done it to Chahal, Adam Zampa, uh, Rashid Khan, plenty of the top legs there. He absolutely destroys them. He hits them straight, them straight out of the attack. Yeah. 
the opposing captain has to shield them. They don't really have a choice. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but if you see Andre Russell, you see Carlos Bradley come in, you immediately bring on a Chahal. You bring on any of your specialist googly bowlers, Rahul Chahar, and they they always give you the wicket they want. But against Pollard, nah, they don't want to be bowling. Do we have any confirmation on the status of Pat- Pattinson? Is he still under the load management, I believe, was what it was before? Because um, I feel like he served better for MI than Coulter Nile did, in bowling at least. Coulter Nile did have the 24 off 12 balls. Who bowled the it was 19th Col- over? It was, was Coulter Nile. Yeah, and he, that, that was where a lot of the runs came in, and it made the last over easier for Kings 11. So I think if Pat Pattinson came in, it would make uh, the MI lineup yeah, this, yeah. as well. This is where I, I kind of disagree with um, the logic of <clears throat> bowling Coulter Nile in the 19th over. I know that conventional wisdom says to go with pace instead of spin later on, but I don't think Coulter Nile is the best bowler at the death for them. And I think if you're going to go that way, honestly, Krunal was bowling really well. You could have gone with him, and you might have ended up with just as good of a result because, uh, I mean, Coljanal conceded 13, what was it, to Chris Jordan and Deepak Huda, neither of whom are exactly elite against pace. And he he was bowling on the leg side. He's bowling full tosses. Even the balls that he didn't get too many runs off of, it wasn't because he was bowling well. It was really just terrible batting by them. I think if you had Karen Pollard facing that Coulter Nile over, it could have gone for 25 or 30. So I think I'd be very surprised if Coulter Nile plays another um, many more games for Mumbai this season. He's just, I don't think he did his chances any favors here. Yeah, well, I agree, but I don't think Mumbai have anything to lose right now. They, they, if they feel like James, they feel like they want James Patterson fit and fresh for the playoffs because he does have a, he and Kulan both have a season of injuries, and maybe Mumbai feel they owe Colton a couple games because they were going to start with him over Pattinson. Pattinson was an injury replacement after all for Malinga. They'll probably just want to give him a proper chance before to see where he gauges into the team before the playoffs. Pattinson will definitely, definitely be playing in the playoffs, so I don't see that. That's true, but let's go to the other one, Dinesh. I know you had some thoughts about the KKR game. What were you? What would you think about the super over mania there? Woo! Nothing better than seeing oh, no. a super over. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, obviously, Lockie Ferguson was absolutely unbelievable uh, in this game, and coming straight in off the back of not playing for quite some time, um, and again stressing the value of just raw pace on on these kind of pitches. Uh, can be pretty huge. Um, KKR has struck me as a lineup that hasn't quite found their groove, despite obviously having a lot of great players. You, you look at some of their bowlers, a lot of young Indian talent that has you know, been sort of on the edge of really coming together. And then at the top of the order, more young talents than Shubman Gill, uh, Tripathi, Nitesh Rana. Um, and it, it really felt like this might have been the missing piece. Um, just looking at the regular game because um, everything else pretty much went according to plan for them. I felt. Yeah, Rocky Ferguson. He's honestly a, he honestly has a much better IPL record than 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 people seem to remember. He, I remember when he played his first season in 2017. Both some very crucial spells for Rising Pune Super Giants back then. And even though he's not a regular player on the team, he seems to always perform well whenever he gets the chance. So it was great watching him bowl. Both. Quick, he bowled fast, sharp, and he also mixed up. He bowled some excellent slow balls, both in the super over and in the mainstay. 
And I'm sure nothing satisfied him more than getting his cap, getting his international captain out first ball, getting Kane Wilson caught a deep there end. That must have been a very satisfying moment for him. Something to, so who comes yeah. out? Who you got Lockie Ferguson locking down his place, but when Narain comes back, do you give him his spot back or do you kick Hell Russell no. out or Cummins? What do you do? Hell no. Narain hasn't done anything to Narain has not performed gave a single performance even close to what Lockie Ferguson did on Sunday. That's one of my first overseas players now. Especially especially if he's gonna get another call out for his action while bowling, I would not be risking that anyways. And he's not giving anything to Yeah, he, he got cleared for his action, right? He had his, his Yeah, um, he did. Yeah, so did. there's there's no issue with that anymore. Okay, my, my bad. But, yeah. I, yeah. I, I would I, I think for me I think for me it sort of depends on because you can see the balance changes because they had to bring Cole Deep the other back in, who I thought bowled pretty decently. Um and I think it sort of depends on how he fares from here. Because if they can field two good spinners in Vernjuk for the and Kuldeep Yadav, and they're both, you know, holding down those middle overs pretty decently. That's what really opens the the, um, the ability for you to leave out Narayan for uh, Ferguson, I think. Um, because you're obviously not dropping Morgan right now. Um, no, he's Cummins been their has second been... best batsman and or their best batsman, and he's their captain, so he's not coming out. That's good. Yeah, no, Morgan, I... Russell, Ferguson, and... Morgan, Russell, Ferguson, and Cummins. I think that'll be the comment should take care of we'll go with right now. Yeah, I mean, Cummins hasn't been one of the best bowlers of the tournament, but he has been nothing short of respectable in basically every game he's played. He has hit the right areas. He hasn't, I, I think maybe the very first game he played of the tournament, he got taken for a bunch of runs. But uh, since then, he's been pretty consistently doing the role that he needs to do. Um and then it really comes down to, I mean, Russell and Narayan are both X-Factor players. Neither of them has quite hit their stride this time around. So it comes down to team balance when you're picking between them right now, I think. And if your other two spinners are, are doing the role that you need and holding those middle overs down, you know, I can't see a compelling reason to put in Narayan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Andre Russell's still bowling decently well at the death. I mean, he obviously he struggled in that final over. He's saved three, warrants, three boundaries to David Warner, but... He's actually been bowling pretty well at death recently. And he always starts at the dead, which would reflect a high economy rate for his season. And I mean, he's still uh he still can give you that cameo at the back end. He's not doing what he did last season where he was winning games, but he still gives those cameos. So I still be going under also as a fourth overseas player. All right. So kicking out from the Sunrisers angle of this match, at least, Williamson was six, so they sent him to open. And I'm just starting to wonder if maybe it might be a good idea to start doing that a little bit more frequently. Came off pretty well, actually. Got them some quick runs early on. What do you guys think? Oh, it didn't go too poorly at all. But, um, yeah, I, I think if they're going to keep juggling the top of the, the order, that's hardly where their weakness is to begin with. You know, you could pick Williamson, Burstow, Warner, Manish Pandey, in whatever order you want. Odds are one of them is going to fire. I don't, I don't think that's the area of concern for them. Yeah, I don't think if Kane Williamson opens, Warner opens, probably we. I still go with Warner and Bearstow opening. Warner Bearstow's record, and I feel, is practically flawless. So, but yeah, K. Wilson did play well. Uh, I mean, he played with a lot more freedom, obviously, because he's obviously not feeling. He was under under the weather, so yeah, the license to just play his shots seemed to work well for SRH. Got him up to a good start, and then four and almost won them the game. Got it. 17 runs needed when they required 18 off the final over. And that was a very pro- promising performance by him. But again, you got to question how K- how SRH's other batsmen struggled yet again. The non-international superstars of this team. Yeah, it, it, it does feel to me, I mean, I think last time 
uh, we chatted about this, SRH was fifth on the overall tally. Um, and I did not pick them as one of my contenders for the playoffs, uh, despite that, which it has felt to me for a while like they have invested in a handful of extremely good players. Uh, and the, for example, not to take away from their bowling attack, which has actually performed very well. Um, but you, you do get the feeling that um, they they saw the shiny prize and Rashid Khan went after him and then didn't really have the flexibility to shore up other parts of their attack. Um, uh, I think even for Rashid Khan, the, the way batsmen are playing him, they're just seeing out his overs and he has an extremely good economy but he's not able to take wickets because batsmen are not attacking him. They've learned that. Um, and once seeing it out as overs and hitting um, the other overs against other bowlers, I think that's the tactic that's proven, that, like prevailed for other teams facing them. It, it kind of renders Rashid Khan useless because that's what he's usually there for, um, to take the wickets for SRH. Well, I wouldn't say it renders him useless. I, I will yeah, say this. I, I think Rashid Khan, the way that he's playing for Sunrisers, we know that he's a bowler where if teams just play him out, you know, he'll get you four really good overs and a wicket generally. He's taken 11 and 9 this year. He'll get you four really good economical overs, get a good wicket, a crucial wicket, but you kind of bat around him, right? You basically plan your innings around him. And he's the type of bowler where you need another really solid bowler complementing him. Otherwise, you cannot afford to go into a game with him as your only striking option. But that's really, honestly speaking, that's true of any good bowler. I don't think this is a Rashid-specific issue. I think this is just an issue of what happens when your bowling lineup is woefully lopsided. I mean, I can't think of a single bowler here that's international quality that played in that match against um, KKR in that super over match. I can't think of a single bowler that's super over quality except for Rashid, or that, that's international quality except for Rashid Khan. And that's yeah. just not going to work. You need a player that can bowl and compliment him as a genuine wicket-taking threat, or else they're just going to play him out. So, yeah, it, it's definitely not an issue with Rashid Khan. I think, as you said, the issue is a very lopsided bowling attack. And that's not to say they have poor bowlers. I mean, each one of these bowlers has independently had very good days throughout this tournament. We've seen Sandeep Sharma do really well. We've seen Natarajan do really well at the death. Vijay Shankar, in fact, had a pretty good day in this game. Uh, economy of five pick up, picked up a wicket. Um but it's really, really hard, I think, for an attack to flourish when you can't reliably have pressure from both ends. That's one of the things that makes any great bowlers, you know, they, they hunt in pairs. Um, and what I feel like Rashid has been missing is someone who can consistently apply pressure from the other end. And that's really the gaping weakness in the Sunrisers lineup to me. Yeah, I mean, Sunrisers have a little issue, right? Obviously, their spearhead the for the last four or five seasons, Bumi has been injured for the entire IPL. And another thing is they just, it's absolutely impossible for them to bring in Muhammad Nabi in. They have three superstar bats and scoring the runs, and Rashid Khan is the superstar bowler. But Nabi is the other world-class bowler in this in this squad. and But you don't see how he can fit into the team because you really can't see Sunrisers dropping any of their international players. So it's definitely a big problem for Sunrisers. And... Yeah, it's a good point that Rashikan doesn't have backup because I remember in the World Cup last year, teams decided they would play out Bumrah's 10 overs every game consistently against India. Bumrah would never get attacked and he wasn't in the top five with the tickers of the tournament. But this allowed either Mohamed Shari or Bhuvi Kumar, whoever 
was the opening with him to consistently be the top wicket taker every game. Shami came in, obviously, he got like 13 wickets in the first three, four games. And because oppositions needed to utilize the power play and they had to go after Shami because Boomer was the world's best bunt bowler. And so, yeah, that's the importance of having a bowling, a strong bowling partnership. And that's what Sunrise really needs someone to step up with Rashid Khan, especially when he's bowling, because on the other end, they, they always attack the other guy on the other end because Rashid Khan's overs are consistently four or five runs. Yeah, and you really feel like um, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place here in that before they brought in Williams and they couldn't put runs on the board to save their lives. You know, I, I just think maybe it might be time for them to seriously consider if they need a Hail Mary play, if they're going to stay in this tournament, which they need to win every single game, all five of them from here on out to have a chance at staying in this tournament. If they are to do that, they're going to need to shore up their bowling. And I think it's time you seriously debate dropping Johnny Bairstow for oh, wow. Mohamed Nabi or dropping Kane Williamson because you need Nabi to play in this. Otherwise, the same thing is going to happen. This team does not have the bowling depth to compete. Unless you think that one of Vijay Shankar, Sandeep Sharma, or Basil Thampi is going to step up and do something magical, what are you going to do to shore this bowling lineup up? Because, in my opinion, the runs drop-off that you will get between Bairstow or Williamson and Nabi is offset by Nabi's better bowling. And you should be trying to think in terms of how many runs does each player net you. And I think Nabi's net impact is going to be higher than both Bairstow and Williamson. So the question is, which one of those two do you want to take out? Because I think Nabi's got to play. He's the only bowler that can stand up to international scrutiny. And he's the only one that they can really pair with Rashid here. Well... I don't think Bairstow will get dropped. I don't think that's happening. He's in the top. I don't think he should either. He's he's in the top, maybe top six, seven run scores of the tournament. He's the wicketkeeper. I really don't wouldn't be moving to any of the other Sunrisers wicketkeeper batsmen because none of them are exactly. aggressive batsmen at all. And, and I agree. I think Bairstow should keep his spot. They might. They probably might have to drop Williamson, and maybe. I mean, he's probably going to be fit for the next game because he was just sick and not really injured or anything. But they might have to drop him, just like yeah, they, they did it last feel- season. They did it last season. It worked well until Warren Bairstow eventually had to leave the team because of World Cup duties. But yeah, a lot of, there's definitely a lot of questions on Sunrise team selection. But I think it's time we move on to Saturday's games. Uh, obviously, not not super over thrillers here, but we had spectacular final or batting finishes. One from Akshar Patel at Shikhar Dhawan and another from Avi de Villiers. Let's start talking about the the Delhi, ga- Delhi game. Akshar Patel and Shikhar Dhawan. Shikhar Dhawan with an 80 and Akshar Patel's hitting three sixes off Jadeda to win Delhi, a close counter against CSK. Is it time Akshar sees some time in the Indian team? I mean, this is absolutely insane. What we're seeing this IPL is nothing short of phenomenal. Uh, No. Just uh, (laughs) no. Really? No, it's his first good season, I I think, in a while. I've been really impressed with him, but Jadeja is, uh, even though Jadeja is having a poor IPL, We've, it's, it's not uncommon for a lot of these players to perform poorly in IPL and be international really uh, rec stars as always and Jadeja is one of them and Akshar Patel he's always going to he's always going to be the Walmart version of Jadeja so until Jadeja completely falls off in the international game I don't see Akshar Patel breaking through in the India format anyway even Kunal Pandya was still put over Akshar Patel but Akshar Patel is definitely in the reckoning he's definitely making a name for himself in this IPL I think the move to Delhi from Punjab has been extremely was extremely extremely smart move for both him and for the Delhi franchise and he's been absolutely brilliant we saw it today as well how he got the big wicket of KL Rahul and then 
yeah, he got the opportunity. His eyes must have lit up when he saw Jadeja bowling instead of Dwayne Bravo, who obviously was injured, which is very unfortunate for CSK. But his eyes must have lit up, and he took complete advantage of the situation to once again prove his good, what I would call his comeback season for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I have to say it's kind of funny that we're calling him uh, Walmart Jadeja and then talking about how he absolutely destroyed Jadeja in that game. But uh, <laughs> it's the first um, thing I mentioned. Yeah, it's basically what Walmart's done to its competitors, right? So I mean, it's uh... <laughs> I can't argue with that. Um, no, I, I I do think that maybe the fact that we have this many players kind of in the Jadeja mold right now is it's not helping their chances, right? And I think my my answer right now is still going to be this is the wrong time to give Akshar Patel an extended run because we are within a year of a World Cup. And I think this is the time you got to start locking down your top 15. And I, I don't think he's had enough of a run against international attacks, or I mean any run really, um, to be able to say that he should be in that 15. If this were not a World Cup year, I think my answer would be different. My answer is absolutely give him a shot. Um, yeah, of course. So of course. I, I think... You know, he his bowling has been quietly one of the most impressive things about the Delhi lineup this season. I still think yeah. he could crack it as a reserve in the World Cup team. I, I know it's a bit of a stretch, but honestly, in the post-COVID world, you're going to see some surprises. You're going to see some players kick on better than most. And I think given the short time frame, if Akshar is in good form and you see Jadeja continue to struggle in internationals, I think you start giving Akshar a game or two here or there just to see how he does. And that way, you've got someone else ready to go as a ready-made replacement. Jadeja to continue I mean, to struggle or start to struggle? He's, he's not struggling at all in international cricket. No, I mean, if his IPL form carries over into international okay. cricket. Yeah, but Jadeja's never really stood out to me as a supremely talented IPL performer. He's kind of like Rohit Sharma. Rohit Sharma plays a million times better in international cricket than he does in IPL, even though he's IPL's best captain. Jadeja's been a player in that mold. Uh, I mean, if you saw the last podcast, you'd also know that Pras and I, we think there's one spin bowler that needs to be, that's not in the India setup, that needs to be playing in the T20s. Nowadays, it's Ravi Ashwin, and I'd still be putting Ashwin over Akshar Patel as well. So it's a long shot for Akshar Patel, but definitely, is obviously, he's in the latter half of his career now. So there's obviously going to be a chance for Akshar Patel in the future. And I think this IPL is definitely putting him in, not, maybe not in India reckoning, but Indian future reckoning and like India A tours for sure. And yeah, and obviously, nothing will hurt if he keeps playing like this every every game. Yeah, I, I think it's it's also a little bit hard to say, you know, exactly how much game time he can be given, as you pointed out in a, I mean, let's not call this a post-COVID world. We're nowhere near past it yet. Um, but you know, given uh, the uncertainty around international, given the uncertainty around international cricket right now, it's really really hard to say how much game time is he going to get. If I were the Indian team management, I'd be saying let's lock down, you know, our 16 or 17, really get them game time, and then make a call at the end of the day. And I think that said pretty clearly, he's not there yet. Do I think he deserves a couple months run in this team? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A couple podcasts ago, we spoke about the Orange Cap, which is currently in the hands of KL Rahul, but we have a new front runner, almost front runner, um, Shikhar Dhawan, scoring two centuries um, within the span of two games. But, um, yeah, what do you think? Is this a form that's going to be continued? Or is this... I think Ricky Ponting... Chance? I think Ricky Ponting was told Shikhar Dhawan. He's like, don't think it's a IPL. Think this is the World Cup or a Champions Trophy. <laughs> and he... And Dhawan, wearing a blue jersey, pretending the other teams are international teams. And 
that's how he's approaching the IPL now. That one's that's also never that that one's that one's in that same row with Jadeja. He's never been a standout IPL performer. He's usually a consistent mm-hmm. player, but when he got, we he's a monster in the World Cups. We we've he seen he's always been it. he always been the highest run scorer for India, highest run scorer overall, and now he seems to finally be doing it in IPL. And man, he played so well last three four games. He's really really just taken over in a in a lineup where it's hard to stand out because you have so many Indian bats and a very similar quality level. And he's to stand out in that team is definitely takes a lot of performance. So yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy for him. He's been a very talented player. He's a bit unlucky with the amount of injuries that face him. And he, I guess he's just making up for having missed the World Cup where he pretty sure he would have racked up two to three hundreds. Yeah, no, he, uh, I, I don't think you hit this sort of purple patch just through luck. He is obviously in very good touch right now. And I, I don't know if by the end of the group stage, he's going to catch Gale Rahul, but considering how unlikely it's looking for Punjab to make the playoffs at this point, I think, you know, he, he's probably the front runner for winding up with the thing at the end of the tournament. Yeah. It's a matter of 75 runs difference right now. So it's, it's fairly close. Um, another uh, missed opportunity from Kale Rahul and Shukadawin stepping up again. It, it could be within one match that yeah. uh, Dowen takes the orange cap. Yeah, for sure. Now, I know Dowen's been a superstar in World Cup, so let's talk about a real cricketing superstar. A.B. de Villiers, what a performance yet again by the superstar. Why R.C. even thought of sending him at six a couple games ago is absolutely preposterous. What an innings he played. Uh, when R.C.B. needed it, three sixes out of the stadium, five off three, cleanly hits one of the best bowlers in the world and in this IPL, all the way, basically securing IPL, basically securing RCB a dub to the playoffs. What do you guys think with RC Rajasthan Royals game? Man, I, I thought it was, I, I mean, this isn't about his gameplay, but man, I thought it was, it was so unbelievably humbling after the game when AB talked about how nervous he is in those kind of situations. Yeah. The guy makes batting look easy. I mean, he makes revolutionizing batting look easy. And it's not a stretch to say he did. Absolutely not. I mean, he has, you know, possibly more than any other single batsman defined how this generation of white ball cricketers approaches the art of batting. Um, and and to hear from, from him how nervous he gets in situations in like tense chases like this is such an incredibly humbling thing. I have nothing but respect for him. And it, it is no longer surprising to me that he can pull off stuff like this. Yeah, the second I saw Jaya Vinodko coming in a bowl, as an RCB fan, my eyes finally lit up for once. I was like, maybe this will be the over. And after the first three balls, I knew we, I knew the game was secured, and he was not going to let that game go. The thing with AB to surprise me is that any type of obstacle you throw at him, he finds a new, he invents a new way around it. It's important to remember that he was already a superstar before, you know. Before the IPL kicked on, he was already a star batsman for South Africa. And when the IPL came around, you started seeing him add shots to his repertoire that never even existed in cricket before. I mean, for example, his the, the shot that he plays, the ramp over his head or behind over fine leg. The only other exponent of that shot was Tilak Ratne Doshan. You see his uppercuts. Or Brennan McCullough. Yeah, that too. Right? Like, Dave Villiers has basically taken the traditional cricketing game and expanded it to include the entire field, which is, I guess, why he's called Mr. 360. What I find so fascinating about him is that, and I think the reason RCB overthought and sent him in at six is, you know, most players tend to 
have a specialty in their game. They do well in, in the opening stages in the power play, for example. Some do well in the middle overs, and some, like Karen Pollard, are death over specialists, right? Andre Russell, Karen Pollard, unbelievable at the death overs. ABJ Villiers, to this day, is consistently one of the only cricketers in the world who I think you could send in at any stage, any time, and he would do just as well. He's the type of player that can carry a team no matter where he is or how he plays. You just have to give him some exposure so that he can make an impact. That's it. He's really a one-in-a-million cricketer. And what I find so interesting about him is it just doesn't just stay at 2020. You watch his test batting. He scored 33 off of 200 balls to Stonewall a draw once in Adelaide. And then he ended up scoring a century against Australia on a pitch where no one else even crossed 30. So how do you vote I mean, to someone like that? I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a legend. He's a test legend. He's an ODI all-time great. He's an IPL superstar. He's just a really, he's just a really once in a generation player. And I feel like we're all blessed that we get to, get to watch him at his prime. And I think every year, all I doubt is he's retired, obviously. So we always doubt. There's a little doubt like, Will AB start diminishing, have those diminishing returns that is, that is seen by all superstar players? No player ever really escapes the diminishing returns as you get older, but he still remains one of the best batsmen in this league. And we really need, I really wanted to start a movement on after that inning. I was really wanted to st- sign 3,000 petitions to South African cricket. I was like, bring AB to Villiers back, make him play ODI and T20 at least. Because I would love to see South Africa, the South African team play with him in the World Cup next year. That would be amazing. I don't care if he scores hundreds against India or any of the teams I I support. I would gladly see AB Devoe in South Africa color again. Is he their best ever player? What do you guys think? Man, it, it, it's hard to say because even in the last 20 years, I can think of at least four players who give him a pretty good run for his money. I mean, Graham Smith, unbelievable player, unbelievable batsman, right? I, do I think he's better than De Villiers? I'm not sure. Obviously, Jack Callis comes to mind. Easily one of the three greatest all-rounders to ever play test cricket. Um, okay, I'm not going to say four. I'll say three. The third one, Alan Donald. Um, guy obviously with an absolutely unbelievable record. One of the best test averages for, you know, any great test bowler ever. Um, I would play Sean Pollock over Alan Donald. <laughs> I, I, I think Bale Stain over Aaron Arnold. Me too. Oh, okay, and I completely forgot Bale Stain. So I mean, South Africa has been, you know, had an incredible number of very, very talented cricketers um, who've achieved just incredible things in the last twenty years alone. Um, but I think um, De Villiers' impact on the game has been generational in a very different way. I, I think, you know, like I said, it's not a stretch to say that he really revolution revolutionized batting. Period. In a, in a time of very intense transformation for the game as a whole, the emergence of 2020, and, you know, um, he became one of those first uh, high-profile globe-trotting cricketers just, you know, plying his trade as a, a T20 mercenary after his retirement. Um, his impact on the game and I think on how a lot of players perceive the game and perceive batting is, I think, unrivaled in the South African pantheon. So I think in terms yeah. of influence alone, you really, really have to give it to him. I don't know if by you know if the numbers say he's the best. He's obviously one of the greats. He probably walks into their all-time team regardless of the format. The but. numbers say it too, actually. The yeah, numbers say it. Fifteen tests and ODIs. It's just amazing. Stewart, what do you think about it? So while I do think AB de Villiers is a great player of all formats, I do I actually do think he is the best 
um, all, like a uh, best player of, in all formats for South Africa. Um, I still think the impact of Jack Callis um, as an all-rounder is greater, uh, having the ability to average 55 runs um, a match. And then I, just the overall impact. And as a legend, you have to respect him. A.B. de Villiers will get there one day. He is a legend, but it, it, status will just increase as time as time progresses. But you also have players like Hashim Amla um, coming in, number th- a number three batsman. And in, in my mind, I, I'd put both Jack Hallis and Hashim Amla both like above them. And then at the top, Graham Smith. Um, that's just, yeah, that's what I, I, I think. Um, personally, I'm biased towards uh, older players because they, they've, they're always seen legends in our minds. And it's hard to compare someone currently in our time to them. But um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's no discredit to A.B. De Villiers and the impact that he's had on uh, South African cricket in all formats. Yeah. Well, I think there's an argument to be made for um, someone like Dale Steyn maybe because uh, it's clear that his record as a fast bowler is almost unparalleled, right? We compare him to Jimmy Anderson, but Dale Steyn's had a lower strike rate, lower average, played all around the world. I'm not quite sure Hashim Amla stacks up to A.B. De Villiers if you examine the records across formats because, it, sure, if you only consider tests, yeah, but there are also two other formats of the game, and De Villiers has consistently outperformed Callis and Amla and Graeme Smith in the other two formats. Has he, has he outperformed Amla? Amla is an ODI legend, too. He was, he's been number, he was number one ODI batsman for a long time. So De Villiers also was number one for a time, though, I think. And I think more than that, De Villiers has batted in a role that I think is harder in ODIs. The finisher role, is number four role, is one of the hardest to play in ODIs, as we've seen in recent times. And I think one thing's for sure, De Villiers' T20 form is nowhere you can't argue even close uh, almost t20 form isn't even close to De Villiers. like De Villiers is just on a different level there so i would right. say i think they're comparable consider- in ods if they're yeah, comparable in ODIs you- and tests but De Villiers is so much better in t20s isn't it clear then that's true that no, is true. i mean uh, unless, I, I don't, I don't think significantly I've, better in test though in comparison to AB de Villiers. Is so he? I think it balances. It's like, uh, it's like fifty-two average, 50 fifty. Average. Fifty-two to fifty-one. It's quite yeah, close. De Villiers kept the wicket. But I mean, holding the highest test score of three eleven or something. I think That's actually it's an argument against Amla because <laughs> performances haven't been as <laughs> consistent in de Villiers. de Villiers. has a higher median score, I believe, than Amla, and he bats in more phases of the game. The I know with, for, I, so I, I think if if there's an argument where you can make. You can say Hashim Amla over A.B. de Villiers. It's actually ODIs. Amla was, I think, the fastest to every thousand run landmark up to seven yeah. just in the world. Like that, you know, those years, he was just one of the most incredible batsmen in the world, period. And that was not a purple patch. That was an extended stretch. Yeah. If, he his, was- record, if his record doesn't look perfect now and he still averages 49.5, in ODI cricket after the taper off he saw at the end of his career. Um, I think you can make a real argument that Amla might be the best ODI batsman South Africa has ever had. Um, So I think if there's, if there's a format you can argue for Amla being superior to De Villiers, it is definitely ODI cricket. I I agree with Dinesh there. I think if there's one format Amla competes with De Villiers is probably ODIs. I would put De Villiers over Amla in test cricket simply because uh, De Villiers' retirement was a complete shock because he had just had two extremely good series and he had never had a lull of form. But Amla's retirement was expected because he had a couple. He's been he was performing poorly in Test cricket. So while Amla was kind of forced out of Test cricket, 
De Villiers retired on on himself, but was still the best player when he retired. While Amla's career was kind of done. Uh, personally, well, I'm, attacking... I'm comparing. I'm comparing the highs of each of their careers, right? We're not comparing the lows and when they retired. They've been equivalent so... throughout their whole career, for most of their career, though. De Villiers scored like a thirty ball hundred, so I think their highs are pretty comparable, to be honest. Yeah, mm-hmm. their their highs are comparable, and I think. De Villiers never was forced out the way Amla was. Amla had a poor 2019 World Cup. He had poor test series in 2019-2018. So he was kind of forced out of international very while AB De Villiers took it upon himself to retire. Uh, to address the overall question, uh, if AB De Villiers is South Africa's greatest of all time, I think Jock Callis is one of the top three cricketer of all time. So he's easily South Africa's GOAT. I think the, he has a higher, he has a test average close to Sutchins and he has a bowling average lower than Zahir Khan's. Uh, got he's put, consistently been a fifth bowler and South Africa's best test batsman during their dominating period in the 2000s and 2000s, early 2010s. And then I think if I had to pick a second place, I'd probably go with Dale Stain, uh, simply because I think Dale Stain is the best fast bowler ever, uh, best fast bowler ever since Jim, Glenn McGraw. And the only person even remotely close to him was Jimmy Anderson, who has an average th- three to four runs low higher than him. So I'd probably, if I was picking a, a South African all-time living, I'd probably be picking Jock Callis, Dale Stain are my first options. If I look at all formats, ABD would be my third. So I would say he's probably South Africa's, in my opinion, South Africa's third best player of all time. And the players that come close to him would be Sean Pollock, Hashimamla, Graham Smith. But yeah, uh, when I look at formats individually, yeah, he's definitely a top five test batsman. Probably top two, or even probably South Africa's best one-day player ever, especially in that period before the 2015, before and during the 2015 World Cup, when he was hitting hundreds of uh, crazy rates and consistently scoring runs every game. He he was even the number one. I was actually shocked that he was actually the number one batsman during this time, which I just assumed Coley has always been the number one batsman in ODI cricket since 2013. But no, he actually took over for a period, and un- until he took a semi-break, till then he was always the number one. In one day cricket, so yeah, that's probably what my opinion would be. I'd probably I'd say Jock Callis is stuff because greatest cricketer of all time, and Avery De Villiers is top three. The the thing I, I I should point out here is that none of us have really disputed that De Villiers is in the conversation in all three formats, and I don't think we can say that about any other player we've discussed so far. Yeah, that at the very least has to make a pretty compelling argument, and I think most of us are going to agree that he's at least in the top three. I mean, for me, it's very difficult to overlook Stain because if I'm picking, you know, a, a post-war all-time 11, the two bowlers who walk in from your stain and Malcolm Marshall. Again, I Another day conversation. It's another conversation, but but yeah. for me, it's, it's hard to overlook stain, but I think you cannot underestimate the impact that De Villiers has had him for that alone and and the, you know, all-format impact and and his influence and legacy. It, it, you, you, I don't think anyone else has the same package. See, I agree with you on this, but I also think that part of the reason that everyone tends to weight guys like Callis a little bit more is because we tend to value tests more. Now, is that fair or not? That's probably a question for another time. But I think Dinesh is right. When you look at all of the key, when you look at all the key formats, right? T20, ODI, tests. I don't think anyone has the aggregate impact that AB De Villiers has had. And if you consider them all to be somewhat similar in weight, right? If you treat each format equally, there's no question in anyone's mind that De Villiers comes out at the top. So the only way you can say, I think, 
that Dave Villiers isn't their best of all time is if you attach more importance to one format than another. And that's fine, you know? Like, Dale Steyn has more of an impact on the test match scene than anyone has had for South Africa, probably. And there's something to say for that. I just happen to think that Dave Villiers' aggregate impact ends up beating everyone else's. I think the, the one thing I'll, the one thing I'll push back on here is that there are plenty of cricketers we've discussed who never really had the opportunity to impact twenty twenty cricket in the same way. Graham Smith just didn't overlap with the rise of twenty twenty. Forget Graham um, Smith and and even Jack Callis, right? He didn't really get to play majority of his career in D. Jack Callis was not great in ODIs either, though. It, was he not? Sure, I mean he still averaged forty four and forty five. I think his strike rate might have been a bit of a doubter at times, but he was still one of their best ODI batters. Definitely has at least 10 to 15 one-day hundreds. Now, you, you can correct me on that. Um, but also also the thing is, even Jack Callis, even though we know him to be a test legend, a test grade, he actually has a pretty good record in IPL, too. And in a lot of leagues that he got to play post-retirement. Uh, he, he actually won. He was a crucial part of one of KKR's, KKR's first title victory in 2012. He played a crucial land in... And I think for Sydney Thunder uh, in the Big Bash, I could be completely wrong there, there on what team he plays for. But So he actually, I think he would have played well in T20 cricket. He could hit the ball miles. He's a big, powerful guy. And he was always going to be a consistent batsman. So, yeah, I think that's why we have to kind of give Test and ODIs more importance than T20. Simply because some of these players don't have that opportunity that De Villiers Absolutely. or even Stain had in T20. Stain obviously had a huge impact on ODIs and T20s too, right? obviously. He played plenty. Of Absolutely. Obviously. I mean, cr- yeah, I, I, I think it is it is fair to undervalue T20 in aspects of this conversation simply because test cricket is the best barometer we have across eras for how players have impacted um, the sport. Um, so not that we should undervalue T20, but I think in some aspects we do only have their test performance to go on and we can only speculate about how a Graham Smith would have handled debuting in in uh 2010 yeah yeah i think if i yeah so if i'm being like a south african all time of it grant Smith walks in as the opener and captain but i don't think he'd be in my top five he'd probably be top 10 because i think we're also there's also a few players that we're looking because they're a bit they're a bit they're a bit our parents or even grandparents generation we have like uh, obviously we have um alan donald in the 90s and then we had Barry Richards, is that a Southern great? Yeah, yeah, Barry Richards, Richards Dudley Nurse, Graham Pollock. Yeah, so Graham Pollock. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, John, Graham Pollock. I think finished his career with an average over sixty. Yeah, uh, one of the highest after Bradman. Like unbelievable. Again, player. though, I think you have to deal with impact overall. And if it turns out that they're at a time that didn't allow them to have the maximum impact, it's another to ask whether they're the best on ability, but in terms of who's had the most impact by their performances on South African cricket, I think that's another question. And I think that's the one that I've really been going for. I'd still be going. And I'd still question, be going I think it's a very easy one to answer. I'd still be going with Jock Callis. For, for me, De Villiers, no contest. He's, is absolutely De Villiers. He still averages higher than A.B. De Villiers alongside 300 test wickets, which just you can't you just can't doubt that. Jock Callis, to me, is in the all-time greatest conversation. So he's easily South Africa's greatest cricketer to me. Do you know and the I, events that to A.B. De Villiers' retirement. It's actually quite funny. Um, for, for those of you that aren't as familiar with it, um, in 2012, Mark Boucher had his career ended by a stray bale that clipped his eye. Boucher was immediately blinded in his eye and ended up having to get surgery on it and had to retire. De Villiers was forced to keep wicket. So 
when De Villiers kept wicket, it ended up absolutely sapping his back, sapping his energy to the point where he was exhausted. But he still kept at it. In 2015, after being overburdened with the wicket keeping, with a potential captaincy and all of that, in the semifinals, he wanted to pick Kyle Abbott. And they picked Vernon Fowler instead for South Africa's quota system. De Villiers at that point had had enough. They lost the semifinal because of it. And he said, that's it. I'm done. I can't do anymore. When he came back, he was he made an arrangement with the team, I believe, to not have to keep wickets captain and bat at the same time. I think he just wanted to be a batsman, as I recall. I could be wrong here and correct me, but to my understanding, De Villiers is coming back as a batsman. The game that he came back against Zimbabwe, after all of that arrangement had been reached, after the load management and everything had been about, he had taken a two-year hiatus from the game. Faf Duplessis was indisposed the night before with a virus. So they had to ask De Villiers to captain. Then the first morning, Quinton de Kock strains his hamstring. So De Villiers started to keep wicket. And that, in a nutshell, <laughs> is why South Africa have had to rely on him so much for everything. He's been their keeper. He's been their captain. He's been their key batsman. He's bad in every position for them. I think well, I understand the angle of Jack Callis and the all-rounder. And I, I do agree. From that point of view, isn't too much to be said. Yeah, well, you're saying pales in comparison to Jack Callis. He bowls fifth bowl every game and stands at first slip, so... Maybe yeah, captaining, captaining, and wicketkeeping one game against Zimbabwe, which lasted two days. No, he was. That's not he, a big deal. I mean, he was a wicketkeeper for them for quite a while, for three, four years in tests. He was their yeah, key wicketkeeper. He was a wicketkeeper until the emergence of Quinn de Kock. Quinn de Kock finally got AB Lewis to stop being a wicketkeeper in the team, which was obviously a very positive move for South Africa. Yeah, but I guess my point is that De Villiers is a player. It's not true that De Villiers has had necessarily an easy time of it. It's true Callis, as a fifth-seamer, has a workload that, you know, makes everyone's pale in comparison. But against players like Amla, Graeme Smith, etc., I actually think A.B. De Villiers has had more to do than any of them. And the only player you can argue about workload with is Jack Callis. That's about it yeah. for me. Yeah, I agree. That's a, I, I, AB De, It's A.B. De Villiers is in my top three, and the players I have above him is Stain and Callis. I, do, I don't have Smith or Amla close to De Villiers, to be honest. Uh, and also, but the, the only problem I have is that was just one test. He when they played two series against India and and Australia, Duplicy and Decock did their roles the entire both those series. That's oh no, so, mine was just a humorous anecdote about what actually okay. happened there about how much South Africa rely on Dave Villiers mm-hmm. even then. Yeah, yep. But there, there, there are a lot of great cricketers in South Africa. But that was a really good conversation. Um, yeah, uh, I think we'll wrap it up right now. But um, we spoke about. The IPL games, the hectic uh, weekend that we had, all super overs and everything, and then um, wrapped it up with the South Africa. I think in the next coming podcast, we'll be talking about um, different formats and whether players are best better suited for that um, and whether they should play all three formats or just stick to one. But, um, yeah, that's yeah. what's coming next. Um, everyone, thanks, guys. anyone watching, be ready. I'm going to sign yeah. a petition, start a petition, bring ABD leaders back to South African colors. Oh, Please that's already him. that's already he's happening. By the way, he's uh, he said that if he's good enough, and the World Cup is happening, that he wants to come back. And Mark Boucher and Graham Smith oh. have already said that they want him back. So it's going to okay. happen. All right.